I'm honored and grateful to be with you tonight here at our Maundy Thursday service. Maundy Thursday, for those of you who don't know, is the first service in a series of services called the Triduum, which is Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and the Great Vigil of Easter. And it forms one continuous sequence of worship. If you're paying attention, you'll notice tonight we don't end with a blessing or dismissal. Tomorrow night, we don't end with a blessing or dismissal either. We simply pause to gather again for the next event in our worship together. So it's the, the most sacred and holy days of our Christian year together. And I'm just very, very grateful to be with you all tonight. The word mandi comes from the Latin word mandatum, which means commandment. And it references that Jesus on this night gave us a new commandment to love one another. Another thing that is unique about Monday Thursday services is often a foot washing service. One of the gospel choices for tonight talks about the foot washing that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. Uh, many of you have probably been to one of those services, but don't worry, you can leave your shoes on tonight. Instead, we're going to be focusing on Jesus's institution of the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. When he sat down with his disciples on the night he was betrayed, and instituted the new covenant of his body and his blood. And he charged us as his disciples with keeping the feast until he comes again. Today we heard a question from the ancient people of Israel in the words of Psalm 79. Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? I'd just like to take a few moments with you tonight to think about that question, what it's asking and how Jesus answers that question for us. So the Israelites are in the desert, in the wilderness, wandering hungry, and they're asking this question, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? But really, that's not the first time the question has been asked. If we go back to Genesis 3, we hear in the story of Adam and Eve this, the same kind of wondering, the same kind of question that turns from a question into rebellion and into sin. The serpent comes and says, did God really say, is this really true? And all of a sudden, Adam and Eve are wondering, when God said, I would provide everything you need in this garden, they start to ask, is God holding back something from us? Are we missing out on something? Is God really providing a table for us in this garden? And the answer they come up with is no. We need to grasp. We need to go to the tree and take the fruit that we see. We see that it's good for food. We're going to make our own table. And the consequences are dire. They're cast out from a garden into a wilderness. But God does not only judge their sin. God provides for their needs as well. It says that God provided clothes for Adam and Eve when they are cast out of the garden. <clears throat> and so begins this cycle, this story throughout the Old Testament of the people of God asking, can God prepare for us or do we need to make our own table? Abraham says, can God provide an heir, or do we need to make it happen ourselves? The people of Babel say, can God make a name for us, or do we need to make a name for ourselves? And every time that question gets turned into sin and rebellion, but every time God provides for the needs of his people. So we move to Exodus, our reading today, a few chapters later, a few weeks later, after God has provided this miraculous deliverance for them, the people of Israel find themselves 
in the desert, in the wilderness, hungry and asking this question, can God prepare a table in this wilderness? Now, Garrett pointed out for us a few weeks ago in his sermon about Exodus that having doubts about God's provision is not the real sin here. It's not just about being in the desert, being hungry, being lonely, being deserted, and feeling like, God, where are you? The real sin in Adam and in Israel is always the turning from the question to the rebellion. We have to make it ourselves. We have to go find our own table. We can't trust in God's provision. And so we see in the culmination of Exodus, the people make for themselves an idol, a golden calf, to worship. They don't trust that God is going to come back. They make for themselves an idol and worship. God answers their rebellion and their sin with judgment, but he also provides. It says God rained down on them manna to eat, water from their rock, quail from heaven. He provided everything they needed, even in the wilderness, even in their sins. God provided a table in the wilderness. And then Jesus comes, and we see in Jesus a retelling of these stories, but with a very different ending. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan, and he hears the voice from heaven, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And it says in Luke 4, verses 1 through 2, right after that, Jesus left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Just as Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden, Jesus, the new Adam, relives this story, only this time making that choice of faithful dependence on God. And just as the Israelites were hungry in the wilderness, Jesus becomes faithful Israel, reversing their rebellion and demonstrating wholehearted faith in the provision of his good father, who had said, this is my beloved son. The tempter comes to Jesus and says, in essence, can God prepare a table in this wilderness? Why don't you just do it yourself? Turn these stones into bread. But where Adam grasped and Israel rebelled, Jesus resists the temptation to self-sufficiency and instead trusts in God, the Father, who said, this is my beloved Son. This is what full dependence on God looks like in Jesus. Even with no food in sight, Jesus trusts God to care for him as a loving father would care for his son. Instead of Psalm 78's cautionary tale, Jesus is living out a different psalm, Psalm 23. He shows us what it means when the psalmist says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. With Jesus, it is not a question. It is a statement of faith. Jesus does not ask, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Instead, for us and as one of us, he trusts in the promise of God to prepare a table for him. And the other gospel accounts say that after the temptation ended, angels came and waited on him. We can imagine Jesus in the wilderness, eating the bread of angels, God providing for him food enough. 
But Jesus doesn't only show us what a faithful response of a human being looks like to God. Jesus shows us that he is God come in the flesh, and he has come to prepare a table for us in the wilderness. Not merely a table of literal food, but a table of his very body and blood. As we move forward in the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus feeding the 5,000 in Luke chapter 9. It says, The day was drawing to a close, and the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside to lodge and get provisions, for we are here in a deserted place. That's the same word we're thinking of when we think of the Old Testament wilderness. We see again a people hungry in the wilderness asking, can God provide a table for us? Jesus, notably, in contrast to the Exodus story, includes his disciples in this miracle. He says, you give them something to eat. In Exodus, God rained down manna from heaven, but in the gospel, Jesus is saying, you give them something to eat. He takes the bread that is given to him, that they have kneaded and baked. That's what he takes and makes into the food, into the miracle. The meal and the table are Jesus' table, and we invite people to come to Jesus. But he is mercifully bringing us in, gathering us together, inviting us alongside him to share that table with others. When Jesus feeds the 5,000, he says, I am God. I can prepare a table in this wilderness. I can give you all that you need in the lonely and deserted places in your life. Jesus is saying, I am the bread of heaven. I give myself for the life of the world. Jesus is the one who prepares a table for us, and Jesus is the food that is provided. And he invites us to share with him in serving everyone at his table. But this table in the wilderness is always pointing forward to a different table, a permanent table in the kingdom of God. So in our gospel reading, Jesus is saying, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then again he says, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And again he says, You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you just as my Father has conferred on me a kingdom so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. When we partake of the Eucharist, we are always doing two things. We're always remembering the past and remembering the future. We're remembering the mighty acts of God in the Exodus story. We're remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, things that have already happened but we're always looking forward with hope and joy to the final day, to the celebration of the marriage supper of the Lamb we hear about in Revelation 19. In our liturgy, in a moment, we'll hear it this way. In the fullness of time, put all things in subjection under your Christ and bring us with all your saints into the joy of your heavenly kingdom, where we shall see our Lord face to face. Every week we are setting our table in the wilderness, trusting that God will show up 
and provide for us, but with the sure and certain hope that one day we will feast in the house of Zion. One day we will dwell in the house of the Lord forevermore. One day we will see our Lord face to face. Each week we set up and tear down our table here in the wilderness of greater Boston. We'll actually get to see as part of our liturgy, the table being stripped bare. And it's a logistical, practical thing that we do every week. We don't own this space, so we have to set up and tear down. But I think it's a lovely image that we are currently in this time between the ascension and the coming again of Jesus in our own wilderness, setting up our table. But one day, it will be permanent. One day, we will feast together at a permanent table with all the saints who have gone before, rejoicing with them, celebrating with them, and seeing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ face to face. Until then, Jesus asks us to partner with him in this miracle of feeding his sheep, to keep on preparing his table in the wilderness and inviting many to it. So what kind of table are we preparing? And who are we inviting? In Psalm 78, it says God provided for them food enough. The rest of that story is that the Israelites, on the first day manna fell from heaven, grabbed it up. (laughs) They hoarded everything they could. They took as much as they could. As we always hear in economics classes, it's all about scarce resources, right? Distribution of scarce resources. And they thought, it's here now. Let's grab it up. And they woke up the next day, and everything they had collected was rotten and spoiled, and nothing lasted. Exodus says, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Jesus' table is one where everyone gets food enough, no one gets more or less than anyone else. There is no VIP access, no premium seating, no extra benefits for those who can pay for them. The table is the same table for all, rich and poor, weak and strong. However you show up to the table, God will serve you an abundant meal. Everyone at the table will be of equal worth and dignity. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians about examining ourselves to avoid eating the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And I always thought growing up this meant praying for forgiveness of any sins I had recently committed that I could remember or just being really serious and reverent so I didn't get struck by lightning or whatever was going to happen at that moment. That's not what Paul is talking about here. He says that eating in an unworthy manner means not waiting for one another. He says a few verses before our reading that eating in an unworthy manner means proceeding to eat your own supper and one goes hungry and another becomes drunk. This admonition probably referred to the different social and economic classes of the church and how the divisions these classes faced in the outside world were creeping into their worship liturgy. One commentator writes, it seems that the social elites of the church who would not have been constricted by work obligations gathered and began their meal before the arrival of the poorer members of the church who would not have had such flexibility in their work schedules. So Paul, when he talks about eating in an unworthy manner, he's specifically addressing these divisions of society that are changing the way they worship, rather than the gospel of Jesus transforming the divisions in the outside world. 
In our gospel reading, again in the context of the Lord's Supper, Jesus talks about social divisions out there in the world. He says, kings of the Gentiles have authority and benefactors lord it over them. He talks about people with power and privilege abusing and exploiting other people. And then you can imagine Jesus sitting at that table, looking everyone in the eye, saying, but not so with you. Not so with you. At my table, in my kingdom, Jesus says, it's going to be different. You, my brothers and sisters, when you invite people to Jesus' table, you are not going to be the same as everyone else. You're not going to invite the people you like the most who have the best connections. You're going to invite everyone, the lame and the poor. You're going to go into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that God's house may be filled. God's kingdom is about preparing a table, the biggest table we can imagine, with the most love, the greatest abundance of mercy and forgiveness possible. And so each week through the work of Jesus on our behalf, who lived the faithful life and trusted God for provision that we could not, we can come and prepare his table in the wilderness. We remember Jesus' death, his self-giving love, his welcome to all, his triumph over death, and his promise to come again and feast with us. We are nourished by his body and blood together with each member of this community to go back out into the world different, changed, transformed. We are nourished in order to honor Jesus' radical challenge, but not so with you. We are nourished in order to live lives which serve and honor and love each person in front of us as if they were Christ himself. Because just as the bread is Jesus' body given for us, 1 Corinthians 10 says, so also we who are many form one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. When Dave stands up there tonight holding the bread saying, this is my body, he's also looking at you and talking to you. We are Christ's body. As we partake of Jesus, we gather and transform and become the body of Christ. And each week, we move a little further along in our journey to the heart of it all, to the kingdom of God, our true destiny, to dwell in the house of the Lord, to see our Savior face to face, to feast in the house of Zion together. So in the name of Jesus, our Lord, I invite you tonight to feast at his table. He eagerly desires to dine with you tonight. Amen.